true minute. We, uh, we're continuing our series on, on David, uh, one of the most significant uh, characters and individuals from Israel's history. Uh, and he's important for so many reasons, but not least of which is that God chooses David to be the king that he promises that on his throne one will reign forever. We know from the New Testament that the one who would come to reign forever and sit on the throne of David is Jesus our Lord. And so understanding what made David a great king is important for us as we claim to be people like David, people who are people after God's own heart. And that description of David is, is so interesting because he often, in the pages of First and Second Samuel, is making mistakes, doing things wrong, giving in to uh, temptation, doing all kinds of other things. But on other pages, he's an absolute hero. A hero of faith, a hero of strength, a hero uh, on the battlefield. And so today we're going to be talking about on the battlefield where he goes to battle with a Philistine giant named Goliath. It's probably the most well-known story of David's life. Uh, and we know it so well as part of uh, even people that are not people of faith know the story of David and Goliath. Uh, so that every March when we get to March Madness basketball... You've got Cinderella stories where the little 16 seed goes up against Goliath, the number one seed, right? David is the ultimate underdog in all of scripture and history. The problem with that version of the story is that David wouldn't tell his story that way. And so today I want to look at the story and what I want to ask is if we're getting parts of David's story about his battle with Goliath wrong. Because I think if we're getting the details wrong, we might be learning the entirely wrong lesson that we're supposed to be getting from learning how David kills Goliath, how he defeats the giant. You know, the version of the story that we got as kids, you know, on the flannel graphs in Bible class was of a, a, a little boy. And a lot of times he was like really little, you know, little David. And you imagine David going up against Goliath and he goes to Saul and he says, Saul, I'm David and I've got a sling and I'll go kill that giant. And Saul, who's much taller, says, well, boy, my only job in this story is to make sure I choose the champion who will defeat this Philistine who has huge experience and huge muscles and is going to just squash you like a bug. But sure, I also think you can defeat him. Here, I'm a size XXL. Saul is famously a head and shoulders taller than the other Israelites. And so Saul looks at this little boy and he says, I know that my armor size is XXL. And I can tell from looking at you that you're a small, maybe medium. Try on my armor. And little David says, oh my, this is so heavy. It's like I'm wearing my dad's clothes, right? <laughs> and Saul says, well, give that back. I guess go get a couple stones out of the creek. And he says, I will. And he goes off. And he goes and defeats the giant. And we know from that story that there's this takeaway that we should all get. And the takeaway is this, is that sometimes God calls us to do things that we are grossly unqualified and unprepared to do. But if we'll just do them in our unqualified and unprepared way, God will guide the stone right into the Philistine's forehead and destroy him. Amen. And so if I've got some big task coming up in my life, 
Like I want to uh, climb a mountain or run a marathon or apply for a job or become a leader in my school or the church. If I go read the story of David, what I get from this is I need no preparation. What I need to do is just jump out fully unprepared in faith and say, God, I hope you get me through this like you got David through it because it turned out pretty good for him and maybe it will for me. And so you don't go train for the marathon or you don't go study for the test or you don't go put in the work in advance to be ready for what God's put in your heart to do in the future. You just say, oh boy, here I am at the ACT. I don't know any of this. God, guide my pencil to these bubbles. And you wait a month and you go open the mail and you say, I did it, I killed Goliath. I got a perfect score. God's done it again. Probably not, okay, probably not. But our understanding of David and Goliath often reads this way. And so when I went and found some pictures of, of David's battle with Goliath, some of these may look familiar to you. Let's see, here's one. Uh, let's hop on over. So here he is, uh, huge giant, really young boy. He's got his stick and he's got his sling, and, and he's ready to go to battle. Now here's the other thing you need to know uh, about this, is that, that this is one of the older pictures of David. Here, look at some of the next ones. These are great. All right, here is David and Goliath. When you look at the boy who's fighting Goliath in these pictures, these authors made the choice while drawing David to decide he's not old enough for footwear yet. Why doesn't David get sandals when he's going to battle with Goliath? I mean, when you look at this one here at the bottom, this kid, if he's in my car, I'm supposed to buckle him into a, a booster seat in the back. That's how David is depicted going up against Goliath in so much of how we study him in Christianity. And here's the problem, is that that's a perfectly good way to teach children about the story because it is about stepping out in faith. It is about doing things that you might feel initially unprepared for. Those things are part of the story. Everyone in the story agrees that David is not as qualified as Goliath. But the problem is that we put David and Goliath in the chapter of our faith lives of stories I don't need to read again as a grown-up. And so we still have this idea of needs to be buckled into the backseat David going barefoot to battle against Goliath. And today we're going to really get into more of the historical uh, story about what has happened in David's life that has brought him to this moment that he's ready to fight Goliath that he has faith not only in God, but also in the skills and abilities that God's developed in him to win this battle in this moment. Uh, go one more slide. So here's, here's another one. This is just another kind of cartoon. In this one, David actually kind of gets more of his young man status. He's almost old enough for facial hair in this one. Um, and Goliath is just like superhuman here, okay? So, so all of these different depictions are there, but when you get into the history of it, you start to get a different picture. One of the things that you need to know before we get into the story is that we dismiss David's weapon as a shepherd's tool, uh, that we dismiss the slingshot as a thing that, because, and that's what it is for most of us, right? How many of you got one of those rubber band slingshots when you were a kid? 
yeah. Um, and you go out and it's so violent that that Coke can is really in danger from your ability to, to knock it off the table, okay? Um, you, it's big enough that you're not supposed to use it in the house, but it's not big enough that the birds are worried. You know, there's the kind of what we have as slingshots. That's not what David's using. David has a weapon uh, that was part of uh, light infantry and light artillery in the Israelite army. And so what you see is on several occasions there are scriptures uh, in Judges chapter 20 and 2 Kings 3 and 1 Chronicles chapter 12 where over and over again they describe a battalion of Israelites who go into the battlefield with the weapon of the slingshot. Some of them are so good that they can simultaneously sling with both their left and their right hands. Now, in the history of, of warfare, this is a huge advantage. We're pre-bow and arrow here, and we're definitely uh, pre-bullets, right? And so to be able to go in a battlefield where someone is running at you, planning to do hand-to-hand -hand combat, and where you can hit them from a distance, and the battle's over before you even engage them, and to have a whole battalion of Israelites who are trained in such a way that, that they can be running at you dual-wielding slings and knocking you down on the battlefield before they even get to where the battle line is is an incredible advantage. In history, the Israelites weren't the only one to have slingers. Uh, there was a, a group of Greeks who lived on one of the islands in the Mediterranean Sea uh, that were known as the Balearic Slingers. The Balearic Slingers, it was such an important part of their warfare strategy that when they would have a child, that as soon as that child was old enough to start playing with toys, the first gift he was given by his father was a slingshot. And on that day, they would take that child's bread and put it on a stick. And they would put the boy a certain distance back and say, when you can knock that bread off the stick with the sling, you can eat. Until you can, no food for you. This culture grew into one of the most fearsome uh, groups of slingers in the entire Mediterranean world. And, and it got to where by the time you were a young child, you could wield that weapon with deadly force. So they didn't have a lot of their own enemies, but they were often mercenaries. The other militaries and, and armies would hire to come in and offer their military skills because a slinger in a sword and spear world is a powerful, powerful uh, fighter. And so uh, we, one of the first things we have to do is recognize that when Dave, David holds his sling, that he's not uh, at a huge disadvantage. He's just got a different set of skills that he's bringing to the fight that we need to understand more today than we often do. And now we're going to get into the text, and I want to read some more of this story to you, because what you're going to find is that David is neither uh, short nor prepubescent uh, nor uh, worried about his ability to defeat Goliath. And so here's how the story works. This is in 1 Samuel chapter 17. We're going to start in, in verse 25, so we're going to skip some of the, the buildup. But what you need to know is that over and over again, day after day, Goliath is a giant warrior in the Philistine army, who every day comes out and challenges Saul and his army, the God's people, and he says, instead of all of us fighting here, you send out one champion, and I will be our champion, and that champion and I will do battle, and whoever lives, their army is victorious, and the other army who is defeated will become our servants and slaves. 
Is there none among you who is willing to do battle with me? So every day the armies of both, uh, of both nations would march to the battle lines and Goliath would come out and he would issue the challenge. And the Israelite soldiers would sit there ready for battle and then walk back to the camp. No one was willing to fight Goliath. Now the Israelites had been saying, picking up in verse 25, the Israelites had been saying, do you see how this man keeps coming out? He comes out to defy Israel. The king will give great wealth to the man who kills him. He will also give him his daughter in marriage and will exempt his family from taxes in Israel. That's pretty good incentive. Tax-free for life and you get to marry into the royal family. With that as an incentive, all of these soldiers walk up, see Goliath, and flee every morning in fear. David asked the men standing near him. And David, his three older brothers are here in the battle lines. Uh, and David has come to deliver them supplies. And, and he's delivered them to the keeper of supplies. And now he's walking around talking to everyone about what's going on in this, this situation with this battle. So David asked the men standing near him, What will be done for the man who kills the Philistine and removes this disgrace from Israel? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? David looks at Goliath and sees an uncircumcised Philistine, a foreigner who is defying the armies of the God who is alive. The God who is not dead. The God who will back up whoever champions his people and his army. Well, they repeat to David what they've been saying and they told him, this is what will be done for the man who kills him. And they tell him the tax-free thing. When Eliab, David's oldest brother, heard him speaking with the men, he burned with anger at him and he asked, Why have you come down here? With whom did you leave those few sheep in the wilderness? I know how conceited you are and how wicked your heart is. You just came down to watch the battle. Now what have I done, said David? Can't I even speak? He then turned away to someone else and brought up the same matter. And the men answered him as before. What David said was overheard and reported to Saul, and Saul sent for him. David said to Saul, let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant will go and fight him. All right, there's a couple things we need, just a couple context clues we need to pick up on as we start drawing this different picture of David in our minds. And the first one is this, is that his brothers don't say, hey, little boy, go back to the fields where you belong. His brothers are mad because he's acting proud. He's acting confident. Where everyone else is terrified, he has, is spreading rumors that he's not afraid of this giant. He's spreading rumors that he might be interested in living tax-free. Now, all of these soldiers that are hearing David say this are aware that if whoever their champion is to go up against this Goliath loses, they'll become servants of the Philistines. But David starts spreading rumors that he's willing to fight, and they look at him and say, hey, this guy might, this, this guy, we think this guy, someone's got to get this guy to the king. Someone's got to get this guy to the king. Now, if David is this little guy, and your life depends on that guy defeating a giant, you're going to tell him, get out of here. I'm not taking you to the king. But if David is walking around and people are going, we think this guy can do it. We think this guy's real. 
we think this guy could whoop the rest of us. His brothers think he's arrogant, and we kind of like it. <laughs> so they take him to King Saul, and he says, let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine, which is all anyone's been doing for days. I'll go fight him. And Saul replied, you are not able to go out against this Philistine and fight him. You are only a young man, and he's been a warrior from his youth. The reservations that Saul has is not, you're too little. It's an experience issue. You are not a seasoned warrior like this giant. You're not a seasoned fighter like this Philistine. And here's what David says in response to that. Your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion or a bear came and carried off the sheep from the flock, I went after it, struck it, and rescued the sheep from its mouth. All right. Is booster seat David pulling the sheep out of the bear's mouth? I don't think so. I don't think so. Now, when we've pictured this story in our kind of mental recreations of it, you have David with his sling, and he, like, hits the bear like you hit a dog that's running off with your cat, and it startles him, and he goes, and then runs off. That's not what, listen, listen to the rest of how David treats the bears and the sheep. I went after it, struck it, and rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it turned on me, I seized it by its hair, struck it, and killed it. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear, and this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them because it has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who rescued me, rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of this Philistine. All right. So in our mental image of David, You've now got a guy that's chasing bears and lions, striking them so that they're stunned, ripping the sheep out of their mouths, and walking off like, I think I taught you a lesson, bear and lion. And then when the wild animal turns on him, he grabs it by the hair and beats it to death. Okay, David. Saul at this point says... I withdraw my objection. <laughs> I kind of want to see how this is going to play out. This Philistine's not going to see you coming. That's exactly what happens. And Saul now is getting excited. And he says, listen, I want you to put on my armor. It's the best armor that our, our country has, the kingdom has. Put on my armor, and you're going to, this, this might, for the first time in, since this entire campaign has begun, Saul's starting to feel like he may have the winning guy. And he says, put on my armor. And David tries it on. Now, Saul is a head and shoulders taller than the rest of the people, but he sizes David up at this point and says, I think it might fit you. Try this on. And he tries it on. And, and here's what happens. So here we go. Uh, Saul said to David, go and the Lord be with you. Then Saul dressed David in his own tunic. He put a coat of armor on him and a bronze helmet on his head. David fastened on the sword over his tunic, and he tried walking around because he was not used to them. I cannot go in these, he said to Saul, because I'm not used to them. So he took them off, and he took his staff in his hand, and he chose five smooth stones from the stream, and he put them in the pouch of his shepherd's bag, and with his sling in his hand approached the Philistine. The objection to the armor is not it's too big. 
It's that it fits, but it feels weird. He's, he's someone that needs his shoulder moving, right? And the armor of a sword bearer and a, and a spear carrier is different. It's protecting you and it's constricting. It's, 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 and David says, no, I know my strengths. I know your strengths and I know my strengths. And I know this Philistine's strengths. And I need to go into this battle with the skills that I've been developing, with the awareness for the fight that I already have. I don't need your armor. It's great for you, but it's not for me. I know how I fight. I know how I'm going to take care of God's people. Meanwhile, the Philistine, with his shield bearer in front of him, kept coming closer to David. He looked David over and saw that he was little more than a boy, glowing in he with health and handsome. And he despised him. And he said to David, Am I a dog that you come at me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. Come here, he said, and I will give your flesh to the birds and the wild animals. David said to the Philistine, You come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day... The Lord will deliver you into my hands. I'll strike you down and cut off your head. This very day I will give your carcasses to the Philistine army, to the birds and the wild animals, and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. All those gathered here will know that it is not by the sword or spear that the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give all of you into our hands. David gives God the glory and God the credit. Now, David has the skill to kill Goliath on his own, but he knows that God has helped him craft that skill while shooting his stone at trees and stones and birds day after day and week after week for his whole life. God deserves the credit, but not because David is unqualified. God deserves the credit because he's given David every skill he needs to win this battle leading up to that moment. And so David gives God the glory. As the Philistine moved closer to attack him, David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet him. Reaching into his bag and taking out a stone, he slung it and struck the Philistine on the forehead. The stone sank into his forehead and he fell face down on the ground. David has to move quickly because there's a real risk to his strategy. If he misses once or maybe twice, if Goliath gets to him, David's not going to be in good shape with that sword and spear coming down on him in an armor giant with him just in his shepherd's garb. But if he can get Goliath first with a rock that lands right between his helmet and his breastplate that knocks him to the ground and that allows him to approach him without any threat or fear of the giant, then David's in good shape. The stone sank into his forehead and he fell face down on the ground. So David triumphed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone. Without a sword in his hand, he struck down the Philistine and killed him. David ran over and stood over him. He took hold of the Philistine's sword and he drew it from the sheath. And after he killed him, he cut off his head with the sword. When the Philistines saw that their hero was dead, they turned and ran. Then the men of Israel and Judah surged forward with a shout and pursued the Philistines to the entrance of Gath and to the gates of Ekron. Their dead were strewn along the Sherem road to Gath and Ekron. Suddenly, when David fights his fight, 
these men that every day had run and hid in their camps said, God is on our side. Because David reminded them that with God, there's nothing they can't defeat, and there's no one that they can't overcome. But it's not because he was a little boy who had this dumb, blind faith. It was a faith that had been hardened uh, with the sheep out in the field. It was a faith that had been rewarded by psalms of, of thanksgiving and psalms of crying out to God in the bad times. David is one of the most prolific writers of psalms. It's a faith that was, that was hardened when he had the courage to chase the lion and the bear because he trusted that God would get him through it when he wasn't ready to prepare him for the day that he would be. Jesus has a similar experience early in his ministry. After his baptism, Jesus uh, goes into the wilderness, and it says that he goes in the wilderness, and he prays, and he fasts for 40 days, and he does this so that he can be tempted by Satan. And, and I want you to hear this story, because Jesus doesn't have a, a battle with a great giant, but he does go to war spiritually with Satan. And it's going to give us a lesson that I think is similar to what David teaches us in his battle against his giant. Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After lasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. He responds with Scripture. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point in the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands that you will not strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered him, it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. He answers with scripture. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said. If you will bow down and worship me. And Jesus said to him, Away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him, and the angels came and attended him. Jesus had to know. He's, he's in his early 30s at this point in his ministry. He had to know for some time in his life that a day would come that Satan would come and try and tempt him to betray God tempt him to portray himself and his calling to be the Messiah. He had to know that that was coming. And he had to know that the thing that he would need to defend himself against Satan was the word of God. Yeah, the word. But what he didn't know was which scriptures he would need for a certain temptation. He didn't know which temptation Satan would throw at him, which things would be the most difficult for him. And so in order to prepare himself, don't you know, that Jesus had to submit all of the word of God to his heart that he might not sin against his father. And so Jesus studies day after day and hour after hour. And when he's 12, he goes to the temple and they're impressed with his questions. And over and over again, Jesus is, is submitting the words of his father to his mind and his heart to prepare him for a battle with Satan that comes in the wilderness in his early 30s. What if Jesus had said, yeah, my God got David through it. Whenever I get to this battle with Satan, I'll figure out what I need to do. He doesn't do that. He spends the work and the, the preparation, the, the tedious study of Scripture that he takes over and over again, memorizing it to prepare himself for the battle with Satan to come. 
David, over and over again, practices with his sling, and he builds his strength. He works out so that he's physically able to do battle with wild animals and prepare himself for a battle with a giant that he didn't know was coming, but that he was ready for when it did. And if we begin to understand the story of David and Goliath in its more accurate historical setting, there's a different lesson for us. That if we want to be ready to do battle against giants and to do battle with Satan, we better not wait until the fight shows up. We better figure out what kind of armor is going to work for me and my gifts and myself. And I better start practicing for the fight. That may be reading scripture over and over again so that I'm prepared to resist Satan. It may be that the armor I'm going to use to be the person God's calling me to be is spending day after day in prayer to God, asking God to make me who he needs me to be and and to pray for others to become a prayer warrior. It may be that you're someone through service of others is, is going out and growing your community of people by serving them so that they're ready to fight with you. If you're someone that thinks, man, I think God is calling me to be a leader I hope someday leadership skills fall in my lap. No. What do you do today to become a better leader? What do you do tomorrow to become a better leader? Because you better start putting yourself in situations and developing habits that are building your awareness so that when you go to the fight, you go, I know what my armor is, and I'm ready for this fight. I'm ready. But it's in the day after day tedium of building habits, of practicing spiritual growth and physical growth and skills that that God needs us to have to prepare us for the calling that he's going to give us. This, I think, is the real story of David. So that when Saul said to David, I don't think you can fight this guy, David says, watch, because I'm ready And with the living God behind me, I'm going to win. When your fight comes, will you have that confidence because you've been preparing? Don't wait till the fight's here. Don't wait till the calling is here. Don't wait till Satan catches you in the wilderness. Start today figuring out what your armor is going to be in God's army and building the skills, building the habits, doing the work. What's God calling you to do tomorrow that you need to start preparing for today? If you need to respond this morning, please come forward as we stand and sing.